We've been talking about the church being the bride of Christ and how the church sometimes just doesn't look that good and what an oxymoron it is to talk about an ugly bride. Um, and every Sunday I get to look at your faces smiling at the picture. I know it's photoshopped. Somebody pointed that out to me. I know I don't seem as quick with these things as I might be, but I didn't know this was photoshopped. Um, you know, I'm going to officiate at a wedding this afternoon, and um, I'm going to make sure that's not up there <laughs> when, when, that, when we do this, because it is totally inappropriate. Um, but, you know, I was thinking this through, and I thought about brides, and a bride, I think, by very definition, is something beautiful. And, and this moment of a woman and a man coming together and making this public commitment for the rest of their lives to love each other, to honor and cherish each other and hold on to each other is an incredibly beautiful thing. And the idea, even the concept of suggesting that a bride would be ugly just seems to jar us to the very core and seems so inappropriate and, and doesn't fit with what we know of brides and weddings and marriages God intended it to be. So I use that because it helps us to understand that the church as the bride of Christ, the chosen love of Jesus Christ, at times does not look appropriate. At times the church looks broken and its eyes are on the wrong things, and we, you know, the church invests its time in doing things that are really not of God. And yet, this is the church that Christ died for, the church that Christ empowers. And so even though it's imperfect, we have to somehow resign to what God intends for the body of Christ. And so as we look that through, I want you to think about this thought, because this is going to be the thought that guides us through this short message this morning. Christ chose the church for his purpose and his glory. Christ chose to use the church to do what he wants to do in the world. And in the previous weeks, we've talked about how that seems crazy that God would want us to do his will in the world. Why doesn't he just wave a wand and you know, split the land open or cause the oceans to dry up or something? And then people can see that he's great and he's mighty and he's glorious and they might then come to him, but instead he chooses to use us, his body as his bride, to work his purpose and to bring himself glory. But we acknowledge the church isn't very pretty. Um, if you've been watching or listening to, on the radio to some current events, uh, the Pope went to Ireland this week and... Um, facing a lot of critics about some issues in the Roman Catholic Church that are not just issues in the Roman Catholic Church, but for all of us, the fallenness of people who perpetrate harm on other people. And the church doesn't look very pretty. But even though the church isn't very pretty, it is God's chosen. And it's God's chosen to win the world back to himself. And so that's what we're going to think about today, and that's the thought that's going to guide us. Revelation, as John received this revelation from the angel, wrote it down, Revelation opens up some ideas of what God intends and what he is working among his people in the church. And so the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, John sets it up like this. He said, this letter is from John 
to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace be to you from the one who is, the one who always was, and the one who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him, and then pay attention to this, all glory to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. And so I I think this is kind of a definition for the church. The church are the people that are loved by God and freed from their sin. And so let's, let's move on from that. Because then he goes on to say, he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. So there's this sense that, yes, he he purchased us, he paid for us with his blood, but then he has made us into this kingdom. And John refers to it, the Apostle John refers to it as a kingdom of priests. And if you remember, the priests in the Old Testament, they served God in the temple or in the tabernacle, and they went in and made the sacrifices for atonement. They made the sacrifices for the different festivals during the year. They represented the people to God, and then they represented God to the people. So they went in there and said, Here, Lord, here's our sacrifices. Please don't judge our guilt please come and guide us. And then they would go back out and the people would see the priests that had been there in the presence of God. And the people had some confirmation that God's still working with us. He hasn't abandoned us. He, they would represent God, to the people to God and God to the people. So if we come off of that, I want to remind you a little bit about what friendship looks like for us or what it means to live near someone. And I have to admit that as I think about this, I'm going to talk about what it means to be a loyal friend. But I'm reminded all the time that there's people all around us, lots of people all around us that are just willing to let us get by. They're willing to give us a pass on things that were really harmful. They're willing to just let us go on certain parts of our behavior, certain parts of our being. And so there's a lot of people that will go, not my problem. You are not my problem. And so if you act out in society and it seems like it's inappropriate and it doesn't fit very well, there are some people who will just ignore you and walk on by. I saw a video. I probably should have put it up here, but I wanted to keep our time short because of needing to do the baptism. But I saw a video this week of a guy who walked around a college campus uh, on a sidewalk or in a courtyard, and he had two pillows. And he just walked around and there's all kinds of crowds of people and there's students with backpacks on and they're walking to and from classes and he has two pillows and when someone walked near him, he would throw one of the pillows at him. And most of the people would catch the pillow and then he would hold his up and say, come on, and start a pillow fight with strangers just out of the blue. Now, the first couple of people you see in the video, he throws a pillow at him and they kind of look at him and duck out of the way and they, they look at him like, who are you and what is your problem? And then eventually he throws a pillow to a guy and the guy catches a pillow and then he rears back and the guy doesn't even wait. I mean, he just not, doesn't even skip a, a second and he turns and wails on the guy. Just lets him have it. 
And then this, the, what proceeds is all these people and how they interact with him, that he acts very inappropriately in the middle of a college campus when students are going to and from classes and thinking about other things, and he throws a pillow at him and starts a pillow fight. And what's interesting is some people just walk on by and let him go like, you crazy, crazy person. But there are the few that grab the pillow and go, bring it on. You see, there's lots of people that just walk on by us And Jesus told us about this in a story. He talked about a man who was broken and beaten and robbed and left in the road. And then he gave a list. He gave this litany of people who just walked on by. A priest, a Levite. And they just, they kind of even avoided him and said, not my problem and I'm going on. And, and then he uses this, Jesus uses this to say, but this is the neighbor, the Samaritan stops and picks him up and dusts him off and treats his wounds and gets him a night in a hotel. You see, the world is filled with people who will walk to the other side of the street, who will avoid us, and especially when we're not at our best. And the world, if they will treat us like that as individuals, they will treat the church like that. When the, treat, when the church falls down on its knees, when the church is embarrassed, when the church is wounded, there are lots of people who will walk by and go, that is not my problem and I do not need that in my life. But there are loyal friends. And you and I, I hope each of you have at least one of these friends who are the kind of friends who will always tell you straight what's going on. They're the kind of friends who will come up and say, you know, what you're wearing doesn't look good. They're the kinds of friends who will come up and say, you know, what you just did there with everybody watching, that didn't turn out so well. Not because they want to stab us in the back or because they want to just, you know, butcher our ego, but because they want us to have a great concept of who we are and how people around us interact with us. And they're the kinds of friends that come alongside not only after we've embarrassed ourselves, but before we've embarrassed ourselves and say, hey, we'll come alongside and we'll make sure that you get the best shot at this that you could possibly have. Like I said, I'm doing a wedding this afternoon. Occasionally, as I get to do this with young couples, they come in and I say, hey, I'd I'd be happy to officiate, but we've got to have some premarital counsel. We've got to do some marriage prep because I think this is really important what you're about to do. So I'm going to sit here in my office with a closed door and I'm going to ask you some hard questions. I'm going to make sure you know each other, that you have an idea of what you're getting into. So that when that beautiful day comes and you stand up there and you exchange vows and your friends and family are gathered there and celebrating with you, I want to be that friend that did a really good job of getting you ready. And I want you to surround yourself with other friends, a best man, a maid of honor, parents of bride and parents of groom who will come alongside and do the things that get you ready so that as you start, you get the best start possible. As you take the next step, it's a step in the right direction. You see, those kinds of loyal friends, those kinds of compatriots are the ones that care enough to really say what needs to be said when it needs to be said and hopefully say it before we're falling down. We have a friend in the Lord who comes alongside us, who coaches and guides and comforts and prepares us. And the rest of the world may not see that because they see, they always see when we fall apart. 
But when they're paying attention and they see God put things back together, they cannot turn away. When they see that remarkable, miraculous work of things coming back together, they can't ignore it. And so I just want to remind you in these moments about what God's commitment is to this world. I think one of the things that's been percolating and spreading through evangelical America, evangelical Christianity in America, and even in the West, is this notion that what God is doing is he's preparing just a few people to go with him to heaven, and everybody else quite literally could be damned. But I, I think when we adopt that kind of an understanding of what God really wants to do in the world, he's just going to, you know, there are people who will honor him and live really good lives and clean lives and help other people out and they get to go to heaven. Everybody else is just going to get sent away. I, I think it, it does a great disservice to what God's commitment really is to the world. You see, when we read what Jesus said about this, he said, you know, that God so loved the world God was so deeply in love with the world, not just with the bride, not just with the church, but the entire world, that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not be destroyed, but would have everlasting life. That's God's commitment to the world, and we all know that verse. We've all heard it, or we saw the guy in the end zone at the football game with the sign, right? You see, God's ultimate purpose, his ultimate commitment to the world is to win the world away from the adversary. And the adversary might be the devil and at times it might be us when we war against the Lord, when we battle against him. But God wants to win the world back to himself. And in doing that, part of his purpose is that God wants the world to hear. He wants everyone to hear. And we see this over and over again in Scripture played out where God says, I want you to be a voice to the nations. I want you to be a light to the nations. I want you to speak to those who do not hear. And he cares so much about this that when he established the church on that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended and rested on the apostles, they went out from being cloistered in that locked up room and they went out into public and they started speaking and amazingly and miraculously they were able to speak to people in their own language so they could hear it and understand it. And the the book of Acts tells us that thousands came to the fellowship. Thousands came to salvation in Christ because people heard. That's why I prayed for Melissa saying, you know, today is a public declaration. And this is not the first public declaration she's made about Christ in her life. But this is a really formal public declaration of this. We call it an outward sign of an inward work. But my prayer is that this would just be the next public declaration in thousands. And not just for Melissa, but for all of us that we would be able to go from here and let people know, hey, The gospel of Jesus Christ really actually is good news. It's great news. It's the best news. And Christ's commitment, God's commitment to the world is for the world to hear. And he has chosen us to pronounce that, to say it. And in fact, he has made great sacrifices. Did I lose my way there?
Try it again. Hey, look at that. You guys are awesome. If God was willing to sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ, because he wanted to bring the world back to himself, what, he, what would he be willing and capable of doing with a bride, a body of Christ that is willing to take that message to the world? So keep that thought. This is a quote by Dick Hillis, who is the founder of OC International. Um, he says this about God. Every heart with Christ, a missionary. Every heart without Christ, a mission field. And that just defines the world for him. And, and when I read that, it defines the world for me. So every heart that's encountered Christ, including mine, becomes the heart of a missionary who gets to share the good news and tell people that what Christ has done is great and marvelous and attractive and will change your life. And every person who has not encountered Christ is the mission field we go to. If that's our orientation, if that's God's great commitment to the world, I realize that there's nobody that I go past during a day that God doesn't care about. I, there's no way I can encounter somebody and go, God's written you off. Not if this is the orientation to the world that God has for us. So, let's move on. There's another passage later in the book of Revelation where Paul is, or sorry, John, the Apostle John is seeing these incredible things and he's seeing how Christ comes in his glory again and he sees that the church is ready and the church is there to celebrate his return and he sees that the church is really this beautiful bride. And so we pick it up in uh, verse 14 of chapter 22. Blessed are those who wash their robes they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit of the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. Um, by the way, I guess Donald Trump wasn't the first person to call someone a dog, but these people are called a dog because what they do is inhumane. It's not human. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone, anyone rather, who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. So you realize that God's orientation to the world is, he says, okay, the spirit and the bride, the church, both are oriented to the world saying, come back. It is God's commitment to win the world back to himself. He has not given up on us. He has not given up on the world. And he is calling out, and he is inviting his bride to call out. And there are certain things that the, that the church has experienced that prepares the church for this. If we go back a couple of steps here, we see that he refers to the church as those who have washed their robes, who are permitted to enter the gate of the city. And so we go back forward again, and we see that Jesus says, Hey, 
the Spirit and the church yell out, call out to the world, come, come back. If you're thirsty, come and drink, and drink of the water of life. He's prepared us, and so we are washing our robes. That's what we're doing. And I would just suggest to you what that means is that we are people who are, who are being cleansed. And so for some of us, there are things that we've been able to lay aside at a moment because we encountered Christ. There were things that we hated about ourselves and the things that we hated that we were doing. And when we encountered Christ, we just said, I'm done with that. And we put it aside and we went on. But then there were other things that we were a little more enamored with that we held on to and we weren't so ready to just let go of them and we had to walk with God for a while and he had to pry our hands and our hearts loose and let some of those things fall aside because they weren't of him. And slowly the cleansing process just continues and the cleansing just invades every little dirty corner of our lives. I want to remind you that I don't want you to fall into this trap that some people fall into, that, that somehow the cleansing of the church, the cleansing of God's people is some kind of distant perfection that I'll never achieve. And so I'm just going to stay here. And that's just the way I am. Some of you remember last week I talked about that's just the way Harry is, the guy Harry that never changed. God is working to cleanse his church. And even though there are times the church stumbles and falls because sin still has its influence over us at, in parts, God is also working in parts to wash clean. And I've seen that in some of your lives, and I hope some of you have seen that in mine. So that's the first thing. It is a church that's being cleansed, but it's also a church that's received the message. We've already heard the good news about Jesus Christ. We've already processed some of that. We've lived in the good news of Jesus Christ. The message is here resident among us. And so that message isn't foreign or unknown. We get to carry it out to the world. And that brings us to the third point. Then we get to share the invitation and say, hey, world, why don't you come? Why don't you come with us? When I was in the seventh grade, we moved to a new town. Seventh grade is not a great year to move, but anyway, we did. And I went to a new town, and I sat down in a new class in a totally new school. I didn't know anyone in the neighborhood. And I sat down next to another kid, and he looked over at my name, and he goes, wow, you got a really weird name. And that was his introduction to me. And I said, yeah, what can I say? Yeah, you're right. And then he held up his folder with his name, and I realized, hey, you've got a really weird name too. And that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship, and John and I are still friends today. And actually, John's not his name. His name is Gianfranco Marcon. And he was straight from Italy, and I was straight from the United States, and we were living in Africa. Our parents were there for different reasons, but his parents barely spoke English. They were Italian, and my parents only spoke English around him and uh, knew other languages but didn't know Italian. Later in the week, I was standing out in our front yard, and here comes this guy on his bicycle going by, and he says, hey, I'm going to the store down the street. You want to go with me? And I was like, no. And my mom was outside working on our yard because we just moved into the house, and she goes, yes. And I don't know whether she just wanted to get rid of me or whether she thought I had social anxiety or what was going on, but she said, yes, he's going to go with you. And so I walked down to the store with him, and that began a great friendship. And I've reflected many times as I've talked to him over the years. We're still friends today, very close friends. 
I've talked to him about what it meant for him to say, hey, you got a weird name, and then to drive by my house, and turns out he lived two doors down, and to say, hey, go with me to the store. About three weeks later, it was my birthday. And he came to school on my birthday with cake. And I thought, how did he know? And it turns out, I go, it's my birthday, how did you know? He goes, it's my birthday. And, and we, we have the same birthday. We were born the same day, the same year. And that afternoon, again, I was out there. I, I, the only people we really knew in town were them, and we didn't know them very well. And so we had I'd come home. We'd had a little bit of a meal, just my family celebrating my birthday. I went out in the front yard, and all these kids came by. And he had this huge birthday party going on, and they're Italians. And if you've ever been around Italian parties it's a big deal and it's loud and it's boisterous and it's a lot of fun but he came by and he goes it's your birthday too so you need to come down to my party and we'll have our party together and I I mean I just had a little meal with my mom and dad and my sister and so I walked down the road with him and they had this huge party and there were decorations and we sat together and they sang happy birthday to the two of us together and we were galvanized I was one he was my friend and through high school we were inseparable and to this day, he and I, when we are together, you can tell that we are bonded. And he has made commitments to me and my family that I can't even begin to thank him for. And I've made commitments to him and his family. He said, you know, we're here when you need us. He's never married. He has no children. But he loves us. And I just think about him stopping to give me a simple invitation to come to the store, to come to his birthday party, and what happened after that was just like a magnet. And I just wonder about all those people who go by you and me every day, and they're, they're feeling alone, and they're feeling disconnected, and their lives are chaotic, and, and, and if someone would just say, hey, come with me, I wonder what would happen. That's how we wash our robes. Craig Van Gelder says this about the church. The church is missionary by nature because God has sent it on a mission in the world under the leading of the Holy Spirit. It is to bear witness to God's redemptive reign. Just as God is a missionary God, so the church is to be a missionary church. I read another quote recently from another person that's not quite so flattering. He says, uh, and I'm not, I won't tell you who it is, but he said, the reason we're not global Christians is because we don't believe in a global God. We believe in an American God. Or we believe in a white God. Or we believe in a conservative God. But really, the God we serve is God for all the world who, is lo who has loved and died for everyone in the world. And what Van Gelder says is, if God is a missionary God, then the body of Christ is a missionary church. The invitation is not just a great privilege, it's also a command. So let's say come. That's what John saw in Revelation, is the church is saying, Come! And giving that invitation. And so I just want to, I want to close with these questions. What if the church were to actually wear white? What if we actually cleaned up our stuff? And I, I know, I'll admit, there are things that I do, there are habits that I have 
developed and there are traits that have come out of those habits that I'm not really proud of. And I go, Lord, is there a way that you can change that? And he goes, yes. And then I go, well, do I really want to? But I believe that if we actually are listening to God and say, okay, God, if you want to call me there, if you want to ask me to do that, then somehow you will partner me with the people and you will give me the power of your spirit so that I can get closer and closer and closer to that and farther and farther away from anything that displeases you. What if the church really wore white? What if we were willing to open up those ugly places and say, okay, God, come in and and just wash this clean. I'm telling you, I've spent more than a few hours this week sitting with people whose lives needed washing clean. And then I ask this question, what if the church were to reorient itself to share the gospel, to share the good news, to make the invitation with the world that's lost? How would that change us? What would that look like? Instead of going to all this work of trying to get people to come in here, what if we went out there? And when I mean out there, I mean anyone who is lost. And you don't have to go far. You don't have to get on an airplane and fly halfway around the world. You can see it right across the street or across the back fence. What if we were willing as a church, not just as individuals, and, you know, somebody is really good at this, and so they're going to be really good at at telling their friends and their neighbors about Jesus, but I'm not very good at that. But what if we as a church started to do that better together? That's one of the reasons why uh, Julie and I are so convicted and so excited about this elements and training people to do that. So you you understand scripture and you understand what we believe about Christ and, and you understand how spiritual life works together so that when people come and say, well, you know, you seem different. Can I ask you a few questions? You don't have to go, I am the wrong person. But you can say, yeah, ask the questions. I'll try my best to answer them. I've got to say that too. I'm, I'm a pastor. I've been to seminary. I, yeah, I understand. I've, I've, I've done ministry for 27 years. And I have people come and say, can I ask you a question? I usually answer them by going, I may not have a great answer, but I'll try. And then finally, this question, what if we were willing to actually go into the trenches? What if we were actually willing to go into those places where it's not just about telling the good news, but it's grabbing hold of souls that are going under? What if we were willing to stand just for a moment with somebody who was right feeling the heat from the fires of hell? Um, I'm not going to divulge anything I shouldn't, but some of you have stood there with me this week. And I thank you. When we stand next to somebody who's going, I don't think I can make it. And we go, yes, you can. You can make it. Not because I have any great answers. Not because our church is some kind of direct conduit to God. We believe you can make it because God's already done the work. He already sent his son. He's already offered his Holy Spirit to us. He's already done this work. And so we can go into the trenches, not because we are the ones who are going to win the day, but because Christ already has. And so at the end of the day, I I got a, a series of texts Friday night, people going, man, you know, Pastor Hank, you're amazing. It's awesome what you did today. And I'm sitting here going, I have no idea what's going on. And I was being quite honest with myself. And I thank them. Thank you for being so gracious. And 
but I really don't know what's going on here. All I know is that I am not willing for the devil to take one of ours. I'm not willing to give up and walk away because here's what I think. I think that's the way our church should be oriented. That when we see somebody like that floating by, going downstream, getting lost, that we would reach out and grab them and say, wait, listen, come back. Christ's already done it. And if, there, if anything, anything amazing happens, it's his. It's his doing. Not me, not the church, but the power of Christ himself. I want to close with this passage of scripture. It's from Ephesians. We read it earlier. Um, the worship team read it for us. I want to remind you of this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Let me, let me rephrase that in my translation, okay? We're not fighting against human enemies. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. That's where the battle is. And so people are not our enemy. You're not my enemy. By no means. But we are doing battle against spiritual forces that are at work to tear people apart. To divide nations. To set nations against each other to go to war. But God is in the work of taking and bringing back, calling out, binding up, washing clean. And we need to pronounce that the world, hope is not gone. God is still at work.